Hi there, I'm James Dapertu and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to speak about two co-owners of a piece of property in New South Wales. Right, so in about 2011, although the evidence in this matter is slightly untested, and slightly vague, we'll come to the problems that arise from that later. But we've got these two legal owners, two registered proprietors of a piece of land. And one of the owners of the piece of land uh, moves away to Victoria, and one of the owners of the piece of land remains on the land until he moves away uh, to jail. <laughs> um, he's awaiting trial at the time these proceedings are running. Now these two co-owners were actually formally in a relationship that broke down, of course, when one of the partners went to Victoria, that was after the end of the relationship, the other went to jail. Uh, <laughs> the relationship was not on foot at that stage. So our Victorian partner, for want of a better, for, uh, for want of a better description of that partner, commences proceedings pursuant to section 66G and section 36A of the Conveyancing Act. What is that? It's something you might have, uh, you might recall us chatting about before, in essence, it's an application to the court to say, hey court, can you remove me and my co-owner of the property from ownership? Can you put in two independent people as owners of the property? Can you please make them sell the property and then give us the money after payment of uh, appropriate uh, debts, charges, expenses, these sorts of things. So that's the application that's made. And uh, one of the interesting things about orders of this kind is that they're basically made as of right. If you make them, and if you do it properly, your prospects are really strong of them getting up. So, we have our Victorian partner making this application. Now, our uh, jailed partner uh, resists. What he says is, um, the making of an order like this uh, would be unfair because I'm in a vulnerable position. I can't really respond to this because I'm incarcerated. And secondly, um, I've got a number of prospects on the boil, and if we hold off on the sale, then both I and the Victorian partner will see a better return on the sale of the land. Now the short point is, the court doesn't accept that. The court's required not to accept that because unfairness of that kind uh, is not a basis for a court not making a section 66G order. The court then considers the arguments that are made, and here's where we come to the evidentiary problem I referred to. The way the proceedings were conducted was our imprisoned partner appeared by video link without legal representation, and with respect, um, it's not always easy to resist an application like this kind without the benefit of legal advice. And our Victorian partner, well, she didn't come to the hearing at all. She just filed some affidavits, some written statements uh, in support of her application. So the court has a hearing where we've got some written statements from Victoria and we've got a video link from jail and the way the court acknowledges that it was quite a difficult process working through the evidence and so the various factual findings made are made in a sort of provisional way to say it looks like this might be the case or well, one party says that might be the case. Why does this matter? It matters because our Victorian partner says, hey, I paid the mortgage, I paid the rates, and the amount of money I should get when the property is eventually sold should be adjusted up because I paid the mortgage and the rates. 
Now what our prison partner says is, hey, um, I improved the land. I did all this work. I installed solar panels and drainage and uh, I did all this stuff that increased the value of the land. What that means is that the money I get, the money our incarcerated partner should get, should be increased because of that. And so we've got both sides seeking an increase. What I haven't told you is that the imprisoned partner was living on the land without paying rent. And so then there's a suggestion that perhaps our Victorian partner's share of the money should be increased because of that. And so the court is confronted with respectfully only okay evidence of the mortgages and rates and the improvements and is forced to grapple with the idea of like, yes, we want to make a 66G order. We want to put these trustees for sale in place, but we don't quite have a clear picture on the mortgages and rates point on the improvements point. And the court says, right, we've essentially got two options. One is the matters before the court, uh, we can just make an order now. We can just do our best based on the evidence. But on further reflection, the court resolves to say, look, it would be unfair to all parties if we were to make an order about where this money goes without giving everyone the opportunity to put on further, and again with respect, perhaps more incisive evidence in relation to these allowances. And so that's what the court does. Normally in these situations, you appoint a trustee and you go, hey, 50% there, 50% there, or 75% there, 25% there, and you have the proportions in place. Here, the court says, we're going to appoint the trustees and we'll save the mathematics, the arithmetic, we'll save that for another day. So the orders were made appointing the trustees and sometime in future, the allowance was made for a discussion to be had about whether the mortgages, rates and occupation point should increase our Victorian partner's share, about whether the improvements point should increase our incarcerated partner's share, or whether the truth, the real position lies somewhere in between. I hope that discussion was of assistance and value to you, and I look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee, and at the same time as enjoying that coffee, perhaps immediately before and after another case note. Cheers.